Hi, everyone, and welcome to Sex News with Ray. To get weekly episodes, subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash sexnewswithray. Vivian Lawrence is back, and she is a Toronto-based escort of seven and a half years, an in-call owner-operator, and a freelance visual artist. Hello, thank you for having me. Do you have anything new you want to tell our listeners this week about your life? Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm turning 30 very shortly. By the time this uh, episode airs, I might already be 30, so that's that's big for me. I'll be going into sex work at, in my 30s, uh, which, you know, I'm really excited for, uh, actually. Will you be playing Bo Burnham's I'm Turning 30 on your birthday? Very possibly. <laughs> I did on mine as I climbed yeah. through the giant vagina that Yael made me for my rebirthing ceremony. Oh, I, I love that. Yeah. I'll probably watch uh, 13 Going on 30 for sure. I love oh, that movie. That movie's so good. 30 flirting and thriving. <laughs> I really love that movie. It's so good. And that's kind of what I'm aiming to go for in my 30s. I feel like my 20s were excellent, but I'm, I'm excited to leave some of the things from my 20s behind, like the insecurity. Um... God, the late night partying. I'm turning into a grandma. I really just want to go to sleep by between 11 and midnight and wake up at a decent time. That makes you a grandma? Oh, I'm depressing. <laughs> I I did recently host a, an art party where I was thinking it was going to end at one in the morning-ish. That's what I said in the email. And then it actually ended at three in the morning after somebody at 2.30 was like, hey, do you want us to start like wrapping up it's 2 30 i'm like oh shit really <laughs> i've been having a great time yeah so on those rare occasions i can stay up but you know i do uh, one of my big goals is to wake up earlier because naturally my cycle is to you know wait like go to sleep between midnight and one and wake up between nine and ten mm-hmm. i love sleep i need a lot of it but as as I'm getting older, I've real I've really come to appreciate mornings and especially the feeling of earning money in the morning. Like if I have a morning call and then I have the rest of my day to myself, that is beautiful. I love getting all my work done when everyone else is busy mm-hmm. or like not awake to bother me. Like yeah. no one is messaging you because they are not awake yet. My mom's the exact same way, and that's something I learned from her. That's why she would go to the office like an hour early just so that she could get her emails out of the way when there's mm-hmm. nobody else there. Well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, shall we get into the article? Absolutely. The article is called Lost Your Sense of Smell? It May Impact Your Sex Life. And it's from Mashable on December 26, 2021. This author started their losing their sense of smell, which affected their perception of taste and also their sex life. Starting off with a quote, around the same time my sense of smell started to fade, sex had begun to feel somewhat flatter to me, like there was less feedback pulling me into and engrossing all of me within the moment. There is very little research on the effects of smell loss on sex, and while sex educators and therapists are aware of the connection between odor and desire, there was no answers on the effect of smell loss on sex. Sex won't come up in smell loss patient groups and forums because sex as a topic is seen as taboo, or I put in brackets, inappropriate. This lack of, because, you know, I'm going to pause here. A lot of people say, oh, this is a taboo subject. I feel like people say taboo and what they mean is inappropriate, but they know it shouldn't be inappropriate. I completely agree. And when we think about what's taboo in our society, like the only, like right now, the only thing more taboo than sex is money. And I personally love to talk about personal finance. And I've noticed a lot of people get very uncomfortable with it, right? Because in their mind, it is taboo. But realistically, we should be able to talk about finances and have open discussions because otherwise, you know, it's not like they are finally taking steps to teach personal finance in high schools, but for a lot of us, that wasn't the reality. And how else are we supposed to learn 
unless we decide to teach ourselves, but a lot of us won't take that step. So we need to have open and honest conversations. And I feel the same way about sex. You know, a lot of us, I wasn't taught about sex by my parents whatsoever. Uh, I did have a really good sex education at my Catholic high school, which was surprising, um, but I'm super grateful for that. And uh, otherwise, we, we rely on conversations for the most part. I find that uh, calling something taboo also implies that we shouldn't, like, once again, it implies we, we should be talking about it, but we're not because of all of these these feelings we have around the topic. But another way that I see this is I'm very happy to talk about money all the time. It does make people uncomfortable, especially when I call myself a poor person. I think I'll go to some spaces where someone will say, you can't talk about that. That's really inappropriate. Or you don't know how to have appropriate conversation. And all I can think is like, you're allowed to talk about your job. Yeah. Why can't I talk about mine? And like, okay, fine. Making crash jokes about my parents, like boning minimum three times, maybe not super appropriate at the dinner table, but factual and funny. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like ultimately taboo is something we should lean into as opposed to straying away from. Yeah. I'm also thinking of another comparison, which is sense of humor. So some people will say like, oh, you don't get jokes when really I just don't get their style of jokes because like I'm the kind of person where if you fart, I will laugh. <laughs> and if you make a dirty joke and say 69, like, and then giggle to yourself like a high schooler, I will giggle to myself as well. But then if you make a different kind of joke, I'm going to look at you and be like, eh, fine. But those people will see you as the one laughing inappropriately and I will see them as the one laughing inappropriately. And sometimes it's just a question of values. Exactly. Like if I don't find a joke funny, I'm not going to laugh at it. And I also find that I struggle with sarcasm. A lot of the time it goes over my head. And I, I also find that it's a very lazy form of humor. So it, like if, if something that goes over my head or I don't find funny, I'm just going to leave it at that. And it's not that I can't take a joke. I'll laugh when something's funny, even if it's really, you know, edgy and maybe inappropriate in the moment. If it's funny and well done, I will laugh. But yeah. if it's not, no. <laughs> well, sarcasm is challenging for two reasons, which is one, your face does not change expression. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to tell if someone is just joking because the whole point of it is to keep your face as flat as possible. Mm -hmm. So unless you know someone's face very well and you can tell their face, like their small facial cues from like experience and seeing their face every day, you're not going to know when they're being sarcastic. Mm -hmm. And then I find that sarcasm is also a mean form of humor, which I'm a very sarcastic, dry person. Um, and I have to remind myself not to be sarcastic sometimes just because like I can be, I can be a little mean, but sarcasm is mean because the butt of the joke is the person you're being sarcastic to, mm -hmm. right? And the person not getting it, or like maybe you're being sarcastic together, but the butt of the joke is the person or the topic you're being sarcastic about. And if you're being sarcastic about a person, you're being mean mm -hmm. to that person. Sarcasm does have a time and a place, but definitely. And if it's funny and I get it, great. But a lot of the time it misses the mark in my experience. And then you just seem like the asshole for not getting it. Or do they seem like the asshole for being mean or both? Maybe a little bit of both. But ultimately, like, I just feel like if you're going to make a joke, like put some thought into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. This was a tangent. I'm going to go back <laughs> to the article. Yeah. This lack of information caused the journalists of today's article to hunt down all the information they could find and aggregate into this particular article. So this person's like, there's no research on smell loss and sex. I'm going to find out everything there is and put it here for other people like me. We have art and anecdotes around smell and its impact on attraction and arousal. But smell research is neglected when compared to vision and hearing research. Prior to the pandemic, 12% of Americans had experienced some degree of smell loss. A few quotes from the main body of the article, just because they say it better. 
Notably, we often assume that humans have an underdeveloped sense of smell compared to other animals, and that this is because we rely more on sight and sound to navigate our environments. In truth, we seem to have as much olfactory potential as most animals. We just don't use smell enough to hone it. So, you know, the people who are really good at smelling wine and knowing what's in it, it's because they have practiced it. Mm -hmm. Smell science is so anemic that we only identified the receptors in our noses and the back of our throats that detect odor molecules and send signals to the brains to create the aromas we smell in the 90s. We don't even know how many distinct scents we can detect or what counts as a normal sense of smell, much less how this complex sensory system interacts with the complexities of sex and attraction. Most of us don't pay much attention to the intersection of smell and sex in our personal lives either. The sex educator Lawrence Siegel argues, because modern culture tells us that bodily odors are disgusting and sells us tons of products to cover them up. As most of us try to ignore smell in most aspects of our lives, Folk argues that the effects of smell on sex are often subconscious, which he thinks is part of why it's so hard for people with smell loss to recognize and talk about how our conditions affect sex. It is difficult to, under difficult to understand the impact of losing something when you were never aware of the significance of that thing, he explained. Until recently, the only discussions around sex and scent was dedicated to pheromones. We average uh, people use it to refer to scents that evoke attraction, but it actually refers to chemicals excreted from animals that trigger automatic reactions in their peers. So we say pheromones referring to like, you know, oh, the pheromones made me attractive, but they're saying that's not even how the word is used. And that's like a colloquial use. Like it's the word that we use to refer to being attracted to someone's smell. Mm -hmm. But like scientifically, that's not what it is at all. And they were talking about um, beetles and like you make this, you, you oh, know, cockroaches yeah, cockroaches, out. you give cockroach the smell and all of a sudden they want to murder. That's a pheromone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So a few tantalizing studies, including a famous account of women's menstrual cycles syncing up after months of living in close quarters, suggested that we do, and that this may play a role in our sexual decisions and experiences. However, more recent research has shown that this famous menstruation study, among others, was actually just the result of a statistical anomaly and that the organ that most animals use to detect pheromones is only vestigial in humans. Scientifically, the idea of human sex hormones is a dead letter. I definitely believe in that syncing of cycles, frankly, because I've experienced it twice when I've lived with uh, like female roommates. Interesting. Yeah. Because I've heard that that could be like a mathematical anomaly that if you have a certain amount of cycles in a day and then like, you know, you, the way that it works mathematically is that you're going to sync up for periods of time anyway, just because of how the cycle works. Kind of. But to me, if it happens every month with two different people, I, I understand the statistical anomaly. And frankly, a lot of studies contain them. Like I think my father's a statistician. And I've heard this time and again that a lot of our research is garbage because people don't ultimately understand statistics. Right. So they could say this about this study and countless others. From my personal experience, I have experienced the menstrual cycle syncing up with my female roommates on two different experiences in two different homes two different people and in both cases we've been like after a little bit of time our cycles have synced up and like stayed that way for the duration of living there interesting yeah i mean i don't have thank you picos a consistent cycle mm -hmm. a predictable or consistent or anything like even with managing it like it's still like every two, three months. And sometimes it's like a week before it's supposed to come or a week or two after it's supposed to come. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't imagine syncing up with anybody ever. But maybe that's just because it doesn't happen even with me. I feel like it definitely depends on the individual. And there's going to be exceptions. Uh, I guess I'm just 
from my experience, uh, and I like I have always had a period every month. Um, like my glucose expresses itself differently, but at least like I feel like it's very individualistic. But I definitely believe what they're saying in that study is what I'm is what I'm saying. Yeah, like statistics aside, this happens, and maybe those statistics couldn't explain it. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So then it goes into a summary of a few studies on sex and odor. They've suggested, for example, that many women wear their partner's clothes because of an infatuation with their unique odor signatures. Uh, that women smelling unknown men's t-shirts appear to find the odor of guys with DNA closer to their own less attractive than that of men with more varied or distant DNA. And that men appear to be able to pick up on sexual arousal in women's body odor. I would believe that. Um, I've been attracted to people based on their many different things but uh, like i'm quite sensitive to to smell smell is a big part for me so i have been in situations where you know especially with clients um where i've grown to enjoy somebody's scent because i am becoming sexually attracted to them and you know i, I could smell their sweat a little bit like under their armpits and whereas m many other people might find that unpleasant i've been really into it um i've also been in a case where I haven't had sex with somebody, um, but I was attracted to them. And I could, like, we were in a situation where we were uh, working out together. And I would, like, I could kind of smell when they, like, had had sex and it would really turn me on, right? Like, they had this natural scent in their sweat that to me was very, very attractive. So I would kind of, like, enjoy when they hadn't showered that day, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I go to the gym with someone that I'm attracted to, um, like, I don't want to smell dirty dick. No, that's different. But I definitely, like, you know, there's, like, that, like, fleshy fold smell that you're like, oh, this is just universal. Mm -hmm. But, like, the personal body smell, I would say that, like, yeah. Yeah, I love fresh sweat. I will say that I, I don't enjoy when it's, like, stale. Like, when somebody hasn't showered in two days or, like, it's been at least a day. And they didn't wear deodorant for both of those days. Or, yeah. or they're re-wearing the same pair of socks. Like, that to me is kind of gross. Um, or, like, they haven't, their clothes are kind of dirty and they've been re-wearing that. And I can tell, like, that to me is a big mm. turn-off. Clean, natural body odor is very different than, like, stale, dirty, dirty laundry smell. Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't enjoy dirty laundry smell or I, like, haven't showered in a couple days. Like, that to me is... I think that's a bit about hygiene too. Like, you know, the, the clean, the clean sweat is nice. Yeah. And the natural, you know, if we get sweaty during sex and I can smell that, like, I, I really enjoy that, but I don't enjoy bad hygiene. Um, My bedroom doesn't have like good ventilation. It's mm -hmm. a basement bedroom. Mm -hmm. And when we have had sex in there, like a session and you leave and come back in the moment, you're like, it's fine. It's kind of gross. Like not gross, but like, like, oh, it smells like sex. And you leave and come back, you're like, holy fuck, we got to get the air purifier out. We got to get a fan going. We got to light a candle. Like, this is not a lingering smell that I want to smell anymore. Yeah. That, like, combined body odor, sweat, fluid smell. And I, like, even with, uh, like, with if I'm thinking about women that I've been with, like, um, just thinking of their vulvas and the natural smell and taste that comes out of it, I can tell when somebody has a really good diet or when somebody doesn't, like, I like usually I found this is gonna sound strange, but pregnant women smell and taste the best, like down there in my experience. Yeah, it's it's glorious. It's like fresh and sweet and tangy. Um, and then typically like people who are very active or who have like a good diet that has a mix of like protein or veggie like veggies or like you know like the keto diet or um, actually vegans can smell really good too. 
But if somebody's eating a lot of junk food, I can kind of taste and smell it. Or the worst is like the worst smelling pussy that I've ever eaten was like it's been on two different accounts and they've been both of these women were alcoholics and like severe alcoholics and I could tell right and I I got the sense that they weren't very active and so from their taste and smell yeah from their taste and smell I mean it makes sense that like your body is chemistry happening yeah so you're going to be exuding certain like notes of that chemistry in your odor in your taste so it makes sense that someone else would be able to taste and smell that the same way you can taste and smell food yeah um the keto diet's an interesting one though i listened to this podcast called maintenance phase and mm-hmm. it's a podcast about um all the bullshit in diet culture mm-hmm. and like just unpacking it and unpacking the bad research and bad science and how we misquote it and they did an entire episode on keto and apparently for adult women who follow keto um like strictly no cheating like no like mm-hmm. every single rule one of the side effects was worse smelling vaginal odor. Really? So it's interesting that you say the women you know on keto, it might just be that. I think it's more men on keto and like versus men who eat a lot of like fast food. Mm. Men who are eating healthier rather than, yeah. yeah. Versus women who are vegan. Like I've had, like I've had sex with a couple vegan women and they like taste and smell amazing. Eating clean, clean odor. Yeah. All that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Shall I go back to reading some yeah. quotes? Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, where were we? Uh, there would be, uh, there would appear to be a link on smell and human sexuality. Well, I feel like we just covered yeah. that. And smell loss in human sexuality, although the evidence is weak as they rely on small samples drawn from pools of university students. Our studies on smell loss also do not differentiate between the cause of smell loss, which can be things like smell loss from birth versus acquiring smell loss later. One thing I want to add here, we talk a lot about, you know, article research literacy in this, in this house that you are currently in. And... Uh, one of the big issues with research papers is that the people that they have answering them, the pool of people that they have going to do the research, it's always university students. Mm-hmm. So when you say all men are like this or all women are like that, and you look at the sample and it was like, oh, you're university students from this one university. Right. It's like, well, are these men or are these like young men specifically with this value or this thought? Like I'm not ta- I'm talking social sciences mm-hmm. specifically. Um, so it's important to look at who they're actually polling for for these studies i totally agree especially because just from my experience i've noticed that like like teenagers or like even late teens do not smell great like i could definitely when i when i got to george brown i was hit with this intense wave of smell and i was like what the fuck is this i was like until i got used to it i was rather uncomfortable because it just smelled awful and it was like like are these hormones that i'm smelling or is it bad hygiene like what's going on here and i was like is it an age thing because i didn't experience that uh, in other places just there it was really like and I, i'm saying this with the most respect for like the program that i took with george brown the professors there are excellent and you know i had a lot of like i had a really great experience except for that that rancid smell Alex teaches in a in a program that is known for the lack of hygiene, computer <laughs> science. Uh, <laughs> um, but also the school that he teaches at has a lot of people coming from a country where deodorant is not commonly used. Mm. And they're, you know, exchange students or or just, you know, students who are coming just for the program. And he said that like he'll teach summer courses and then he could obviously pre pandemic, he could tell when the semester was back based off the smell. Yeah. He would literally take like take a whiff and be like School's back on. Must be a new semester. This is why I'm quite thankful for uh, online virtual learning right now. Mm Because I I just signed up for a Photoshop course. And, you know, I'm very happy that 
I will be at home to take this. Yeah, from the comfort, especially if it's a computer course. Yeah. You don't need to be in a classroom for that. No. Screen share is great. Yeah. Dual monitor situation, you're good to go. Exactly. Um, have you found that when you feel differently about someone, how you feel about their smell changes? Absolutely. So I have been in the situation, at, like, and this has happened with a couple of my clients where, you know, when I met them, um, we didn't really know each other. So we didn't lay down that, that, like, we didn't have that chemistry or that rapport yet. So I might have noticed when they smelled a little funky or I'm like, mm, this isn't really doing it for me. And then over time, you know, I was I've developed my chemistry or my, like, you know, experienced some pleasant feelings towards them. I've noticed that I've really gotten into their smell. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like not much would have changed over time. Like, this actually happened with my my regular. Well, definitely. Earlier in the article, it referred to, you know, women keeping the t-shirt of their boyfriends. Mm-hmm. 100% have done that. Especially when someone goes away for a week. Yeah. You get to smell it. Mm-hmm. And it's nice. Or I had a friend once give me give me his shirt. And he lives in Ireland. And I have not washed it <laughs> once. Because I will smell it and then be like, ah, oh, that 24 hours in Ireland was so lovely. Like, this is a platonic friend. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like... A sex date, just a friend, and I just like smell it, and I'm like, oh, I love you. You're so great. The scent evokes a memory. Yes, and I think that that's you know a lot of what this is talking about too, how powerful smell actually is to us. But this article does a great job of pointing out that it's powerful, and we know that culturally, but not scientifically. Well, uh, like I have a friend who um, they have a long term boyfriend, and I'm not super. Like, when I first met them, I'm not super... I couldn't really understand why she was with him. In my mind, he wasn't that great of a person. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, he was nice, but just overall, it was like, I find this person kind of lazy and directionless and not really a good influence. But then I hug him and I smell him. I'm like, oh my god, you smell amazing. Like, they just smelled kind of, like, earthy and herbal. And and I was like, I totally get it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, okay, I get it. I like, I can sense this from you, and I completely understand the attraction now. Because also, just visually speaking, they weren't my like, I I couldn't find them attractive at all. But it's really very much a scent thing, and it's very powerful. I'm thinking now. I was on public transit once back in the days before masks, and I saw this person who had like long, shaggy hair, and these really brightly colored eyes with these long lashes and the sharp jawline, and they smelled like the earth. Mm-hmm. And I left and called my friend and was like, I just met a werewolf. <laughs> I just met a werewolf. I just met a werewolf on public transit. Yeah, I'm like, I was sitting across from a werewolf. If I was going to meet a werewolf in real life, this is what it would smell like. This is who it would look like. I have met a werewolf. And that was my first thought. It was just, and I like have been thinking about that person ever since secretly in the back of my mind and wondering if I could ever identify them again based off their smell. But maybe they had just come from a trip in the outdoors. And not, their smell isn't always like that. Have you, like, there's a difference between, like, outdoor you versus indoor you. Have two different smells. Definitely. Um, and I feel like I'm kind of a bit of a biased person because I don't get really sweaty. Um, like, I definitely have, a, like, when I'm close to my cycle, I have a period smell for sure. Or, like, when I'm ovulating. Um, but, like, overall, there is a difference with, like, it, it varies in the time of the month. And there's also, like, there's an outdoor smell when I'm walking around um, and then there's an indoor like you you can kind of tell when somebody hasn't been out in a few days as well um, definitely just based off of these things yeah uh, you know it's not a great smell what um, 100% polyester leggings 
and oh, your yeah. crotch after a yeah, day of no. walking around in them. No. Oh, that's bad. Speaking of like your smell changing when you're close to your cycle, mm-hmm. when I'm about to get my period, you can smell it. Mm-hmm. Like it's got that like coppery tang. It does. Yeah. It's, it's like, like a copper. Yeah. I don't want to say fishy because I think what we're smelling with the fish smell is more like that coppery mm-hmm. metal, metallic yeah. almost. And I was wearing these like cheap polyester like shorts and I was chatting with my friend Danielle who's been on the podcast and I was facing her with my legs spread mm-hmm. and kind of like looking at her and she had had a recent interaction with Phoebe and which she's not shy about sharing so I don't mind sharing it on the podcast for everyone to hear but she was like sniffing down and sniffing up and being like like she could smell it and I was like six feet away from her with my legs spread but like mm-hmm. she could smell it and thought that she had BV again and I was like nope this one's on me this is <laughs> my polyester about to get my period crotch stank and I have not even worked out and you can smell it from across the room yeah like when I was in high school um I I was at a uniformed high school and we had the option of wearing um knee-high socks or we had the option of wearing pantyhose that were navy blue and pantyhose are really bad for you because they don't breathe a lot of the time and like you could tell because of the material it's like a pure fake no natural yeah it's not breathable and so you would pull them off and you could smell sort of like the trapped air and the fact that it was it wasn't breathing like your your junk's gotta breathe basically um like that uniform looks so cute but it's so impractical yeah i mean but I even look at what the boys wear and I know that like the boy uniform, I've seen the gender neutral uniform and I would never want to wear that because it just looks like nothing. When you've worn leggings, you can't go back to yeah. anything else. And I know that people for a long time in high school were saying leggings are unprofessional, but like there are professional leggings. Let people wear leggings. Let them wear a shirt that covers their butt. Yeah. Let men, let the boys wear leggings while we're at it. Let everybody wear some leggings with a long tunicky shirt and that should be the school uniform. We're going to have one. Yeah. I mean, I do like pants. I really like, I, I wear pants a lot. I wear jeans a lot. Um, leggings, I, it really depends. I used to wear a lot of leggings and now not so much. I've, I've shifted to like stretchy jeans at this point in my, in my time, but I don't, I, yeah. I just don't like when you stand and the button's in one spot and then you sit and it's like right in that fold and then you stand back up and you've got that mark from where the button pushed into your stomach. Yeah. I do not like that feeling. Yeah, that's totally fair. That's why i'm a fan of leggings now that they make them with pockets life has changed yeah pockets are the best (laughs) okay we've got i think two more quotes we've been talking about smell for a long time and i could talk about this forever our brains filter raw information about odor molecules through cultural memes and personal memories in order to interpret smells as hertz explains it lavender is not actually universally relaxing but in the west we often hear that it is so many of us embrace that notion, and thus our brains and bodies read the scent of lavender as relaxing. Likewise, Hertz notes that the early sexuality researcher Havelock Ellis documented a case in which a woman claimed to orgasm spontaneously whenever she smelled leather. He argued that this was because her early masturbatory experiences involved a leather saddle, and thus her brain developed an intense idiosyncratic connection between leather and sexual gratification. Which, if anyone here has read Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are, that is what she calls sexually relevant stimuli. I could totally see that. That makes sense to me. One of the, I like go through themes of, I say the same shit over and over and over again for like months at a time. And one of the things that I've been talking about a lot recently is like, what are the stories we society tell ourselves? And then like that we apply to things like just dog. So for example, lavender, this is one example. Um, Women being naturally better at being mothers um, is like a a story we tell ourselves. 
you know? Like, women tend to do better with connection and, and like, pick, overall, will tend to pick roles that are more, like, in people rather than things. But that doesn't mean a woman as an individual is just automatically a more nurturing, better mother than the random man on the street. Like, you can't make that comparison. But we tell ourselves this because, oh, well, all of these women go to this kind of job. Therefore, all women are better natural mothers. And therefore, if this woman just needs to have a child, then her natural maternal instincts will come out. Blah, blah, like that kind of bullshit. It's nice to see them giving examples, like with Lavender. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I like Lavender, definitely, but I wouldn't say, like, Lavender does make me think of, you know, something very herbal. It makes me think of an herb garden, and while that's very nice, it's not, like, I, I wouldn't go to Lavender as my relaxing scent. I would say that, for me, something much more relaxing would be, um, like, I like the smell of baked goods. Mm, yeah like baked like cookies goods. yeah it brings me back to a time when I was young uh and my mom and I would bake together but like when I was you know when we had first moved to Ottawa and before we when we lived in, in Toronto so I would say like eight and younger we used to bake together and that was so the smell of baking bread or the smell of you know baking cookies that to me is very relaxing and very comforting because it evokes that positive happy relaxed memory mm-hmm versus lavender i don't really have a connection to like it smells nice don't get me wrong but yeah well i remember like hearing something from someone about how if you're having trouble sleeping get one of those scent things and like put lavender on and it will make you fall asleep hmm. i'm like is that true or is that just it's is it just like is a generalization just yeah it was very strange did it work I didn't, it wasn't for me, so I didn't even try it. I was like, they're like, oh, do you have trouble sleeping? Try this. I'm like, lavender, herbal, herbals are not going to fix me, okay? I just need to get to bed when I'm tired. Mm -hmm. That's the trick. Go to bed when you're tired. Yeah. Maybe that's the trick. Anyway, um, well, this also, now that I'm thinking about this, one other thing we haven't really talked about here, we did talk about body chemistry, perfume, and cologne, and how, like, you actually have to do the testers. You know how the people in the mall are like, can I test it by spraying some on your arm? Mm -hmm. You have to actually walk around with it because your body chemistry will interact with the smell and change it. So no perfumes will smell the same on two people. And one thing that smells great on one person smells terrible on another. Yeah. I, I personally really like a good cologne. I find it like on men. Um, yeah. It's it's very attractive to me. I, like I love the Dolce & Gabbana that... Um, my partner wears uh it's very attractive to me uh i like when i've smelled uh other really nice colognes on people there, there's a couple scents that i don't particularly enjoy um typically when it's too um i don't like when something smells cheap to me you know what i mean too sweet sometimes yeah there's like the quality sweet and then there's we're cheap so we're gonna douse you in like a sweet sickly smell yeah yeah, and I would say the same goes for perfume. Like, I, I really love perfume. It's something that I wear pretty much every day, I think, uh, because I, I very much rely on scent as a part of my thing that attracts people. And, like, right now I think I'm wearing um, J'adore Dior. Um, or I like that one, or I like YSL Opium I really like. But those are sort of, like, woodsy, kind of sweet, amberish but like good quality. I have worn things in the past. Like I find vanilla is often overused. Yeah. It can be done so well, but there's a lot of cheap vanilla and it's instantly 
Like, I don't like cheap vanilla. I take coconut over vanilla. Yeah. Oh, I love coconut. Like, cheap coconut is better than cheap vanilla Definitely. any day Definitely. I love coconut. That's, like, one of my top smells, one of my top flavors. You I need absolutely... to smell my new moisturizer before you go. Yeah. It's absolutely. called coconut coffee, and it smells like baked goods mm. and coconut. I love that. It's really good. So I will, I will have you sniff that before you leave. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of those, like, custom smell experiences where you can go in and get your own custom scent made. I've always wanted to do that because that way you can really test out what do you like, what don't you like, and then test it out on you and see and, like, end up with a signature smell that nobody else has. And I love that idea. Yeah. But now that I'm thinking about it, my favorite perfume is a discontinued BCBG perfume. Oh. <laughs> that doesn't – I, like, use it so sparingly because I'll be so sad when I run out. It's it's interesting, and I feel like it changes throughout life. Like I really like the Ralph Lauren Blue as well, which is like it's it's like um a fruity smell almost. Um, and I but I don't like like I don't really like Chanel Number no. Five. I don't remember it, but I remember smelling it and going, "That's it." Yeah, like I feel like the marketing campaign behind it was great, but Chanel Number no. Five to me smells like. A little bit too, like, to me, it's like an 80s smell, you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like I'm also imagining cigarettes in my mind when I, when I like, smell Chanel number no. 5. Um, and I don't like things that are very, like, grassy, you know what I mean? Like, the things that are very, like, leafy, to me, that's not, or, like, green tea. I don't like the smell of green tea. No, that kind of reminds me of a caffeine overdose when I, when I picture the smell of green tea. Yeah, it's, but they're, like, there's the Elizabeth Arden, like, green tea perfume, and some people love it, right? Like, to me, it's just, it's too much. Um, I do like the smell of roses, and that's one that a lot me of people... Too. That's another polarized one. Yeah. I love rose smell. I had a shampoo that was like a Ren Pure rose shampoo and I cannot find it. I had to get their tea tree one Mm -hmm. because Ren Pure is like just one of the cheap sulfate free shampoos. Like Mm -hmm. it's an all natural sulfate free shampoo for like the cheap Walmart price. You're not spending thousands of dollars on the same thing. And like it was this big jug and it lasted me forever and I cannot find the rose one and I loved when my hair smelled like rose. Mm -hmm. So I found a new sulfate free rose shampoo. It just had rose on the outside and I'm like, it'll be the same. No, it's like that fake rose perfume smell and I hate it. And ever I, I like every time that I like wash my hair with it because it's like my backup shampoo. I'm like, I hate this and I should just throw it out. But I can't because that's a waste of money. Yeah. I mean, I've had that same experience with um, I love the Evelyn Rose perfume from Crabtree and Evelyn, but I do not like the Rose de Rain from L'Occitane. Like I found it's a rose perfume. And it's got a similar price point, but I've had it and I very, very seldomly use it because I have to like layer it with something else for it to work. Yeah. Because it's just, they didn't hit the mark, you know, it's, it's very specific. My favorite, one of my favorite scents to wear right now, I think is actually a cologne by Tom Ford. I have like a little sample Mm -hmm. and I like that it's like this deep musky, it's like a men's floral, which is Mm -hmm. a deeper floral, which I like a lot more than I think that's what it is. A lot of like the women's florals tend to be so sweet. Yeah. But the sweet and like floral or fruity for men tend to be like a deeper combined with a musk. And I like that a lot more. Mm -hmm. And I want to like how I smell. That or sandalwood. I find sandalwood Mm. is very nice. And a lot of men's scents have sandalwood in them. Yeah. I feel like our two episodes have been either recommending sex toys or at this point recommending perfume smells. (laughs) Oh, we should get sponsored by these companies. Right. We'll work on that. Um. Yeah, well, while we're just talking about perfume, we've talked a lot about good smells, cigarette smells. Someone who smells like stale cigarettes, I want to throw up. And I've been a smoker. So, and even like, I'm a vacation smoker. So while I was in Mexico, I smoked a bunch. Like I smoked three packs of Marlboros. But I think 
if you if you shower and it's like it's a fresh cigarette, but like I do like the smell of when somebody like quickly lights up. But I don't like when you're walking in a hallway and you can tell that so many of the residents there smoke because it's trapped in the carpets and the ceiling that I yeah. hate. I, I don't like smoke smell in the first place, mm-hmm. but like if you smoke and then don't wash your hands, yeah, like and then I smell it, like I can't, like it mm-hmm. makes me want to, like actually, like the reaction is vomit. Nauseous, yeah, yeah, like it gives me an instant headache. Yeah, that's why when I when I smoked uh, and I was in sex work, I would carry around this. I got this um, gift. It was a hand sanitizer that smelled like Christmas cookies. So after I smoked, I would use it, and it would actually completely kill the smoke, like. If you find that again, I'm going to get one for all of my smoking friends. Do it. Yeah, it's from uh, Bed... Uh, bath and Beyond? No, no. Um, Bath and Body Works. Right. Yeah, I want to say Bed, Bath and Beyond, but it's, it's Bath, uh, like, Bath, right? Like, you know. I feel like Bed, Bath and Beyond Body Works is, like, the name of a bathhouse. Yeah, yeah, it should be. It, it is, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah, yeah. that was called Bed, yes, ba- bed Bathhouse and Beyond. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Um, all right. I feel like we've covered literally, like, everything from, like, smells we like, smells we don't like, smell and sex, cultural messaging around smell, like, we've really covered it all. Any last thoughts on this? Or should we take a break? Uh, I do have a thought. I will say that, like, when it comes to vulvas, they are naturally supposed to have a smell to them. They're not going to smell like clean soap, you know, they're not going to smell like nothing. There is a natural smell. And I... I mentioned this because one of my first experiences in sex work is somebody was uh, looking for information on me because they were going to see me uh, independently. And somebody wrote that, oh, yeah, I saw Vivian. um, And, you know, overall, her her looks were average and um, she had a bit of a smell. Like, I'm a doctor and I don't think she had an infection or anything, but it just like I noticed that her pussy smelled and I was like, very offended because but also you're a doctor and you think it's okay to make these comments about someone's body yeah and the thing is i knew who this person was because he mentioned he was a doctor what actually happened is he booked me for half an hour through an agency so at that time a half an hour was 140 and i was leaving with 100 and he asked for anal sex and i said no i don't do this uh through the agency if you want to book me independently after three times once you've established trust we can go for it and I'll need at least like a two hour booking so that I feel relaxed and not rushed because you really have to, you know, if warm he up. To, he, want, he wanted to do anal in 30 minutes? He did. And when I said no, his demeanor completely changed. So he went from being a good, like a happy client who was getting like a really good experience to feeling like he was snubbed basically. And so then he went and like wrote this about me to the, like to sort of, you know, put like put me down a peg. He was very entitled and like, you know, so I was like, after a while, I, I was kind of timid about my scent. And it, it took a lot of other people being like, no, I love the way you taste. I love the way you smell, you know, like for me to feel comfortable with that aspect of myself again. Which, like, I understand that looks are personal, but don't mm-hmm. book someone if you find that it looks attractive, like average. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's one of the things where it's like, OK, you asshole. Like and like that. I know our listeners can't see you, but you're like very classically beautiful. Thank you. Well, I not think, that you care or it impacted you in any way, but like, 
you're symmetrical. You have all of the things that someone looks for in a classic beauty. I think what they were, like, there is a sort of expectation sometimes I find in the industry for cosmetic augmentations, like having lip injections or fillers or fake eyelashes. Like, oh, all of the hyper feminine bullshit. Yeah. And I mean, I've done some things. Like, I will sometimes use a plumping lip gloss and I, like, I wear makeup, obviously. Like, I wear makeup, not right now, but like when I'm seeing a client, I'll wear makeup. Um, and I was wearing makeup this day, but I don't look, I don't, like, I don't, personally, I'm not comfortable with a lot of those augmentations. I've tried doing, like, um, I've done a lash tint and perm, and that I would consider doing again. But most people I've met with fake lashes end up with styes, or, like, uh, lash extensions. They end up with styes, which I find is not really healthy, and it's, that, to me, is very visually distracting. But I feel like what this person experienced is they wanted to go after the different parts of me that other people might find attractive to classify me as non-attractive because I said no to them and they weren't comfortable with hearing no. Right. And then to say you have an odor. I'm a doctor. She had an odor. It's like, fuck off, dude. Everyone has an odor. Your dick has an odor. Calm down. And I like that day, he was the last call I had that day. And I had already had like I'd had two calls. So that meant I showered before my first call after the first call. And then after my second call. So I had already had like three showers that day and all I did, I didn't go to the gym. I was just reading in between my calls. So I don't know what that was about, but if you find yourself wanting to criticize a woman's smell, like maybe check yourself first. There was this moment in drag culture where people came out and said, we need to stop talking about vulvas being fishy Mm -hmm. because it's sexist. Mm -hmm. And like saying jokes, like I smell fish Mm -hmm. when referring to other drag queens, like, that's sexist. We don't do that, right? Like, because saying that someone's natural odor is fishy and therefore making fun of it or implying that that's gross, like, we are not here on earth as women for you to find all of us sexually attractive all the time. You get to be sexually attractive when you're on the clock. Yes, and there are days where... When I'm not working, I may or may not shower. Uh, I will if I, I exercise because that's just a good habit um, afterwards uh, to avoid like bacteria buildup. But, you know, for instance, I did have a client where his balls had a bit of a smell. It was a little bit musty. He was uh, a larger client and other girls complained about it a lot. But to me, I didn't think that complaining about it to other people was the right approach. What I did is I got a detachable shower head so that he could properly wash. And then I realized he was just having trouble reaching parts of his body because he was older and a little bit heavier Mobility set. issues. Yeah. And so I thought about it, you know, your body, your body shame and some, and then he also had to have knee surgery. So he definitely had like accessibility issues. And so my solution to the problem was be kind and find something that works for him. And it completely worked after that. He was just having trouble, right? So I don't feel like you definitely have to keep in mind that when you're criticizing somebody's smell, there is a person behind it and there may be something that you can do to like help, you know? Right. It might be in their control. It might be out of their control. It might just be their smell. It might just be their smell. But, you know, if you, like, you could always have sex, like, especially after showering or even in the shower, you know, you could, you can do different things together to find a solution. Like your default shouldn't be an automatic judgment. I thought that one, I'm just thinking back to earlier in the article right now, that one part where they were saying that if you smell a random guy's shirt, if their DNA is closer to yours, you find it less attractive than DNA that's farther Mm -hmm. and how that, you know, links to, oh, people are looking for mates to diversify the gene pool Mm because incest creates 
interesting children. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was just also so interesting that the people we find most sexually attractive smell-wise are the people with the furthest DNA from us, theoretically. I find it really interesting, too. And I I can understand that based on some of my attraction um, about the people who smell. I've been like, oh, wow, this is doing it for me. I just wish there was a way that I could get a bunch of, like, people to send me their t-shirts and, like, do a blind smell test <laughs> and then find out. But I want, like, you know, like, Alex's shirt to be in there. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to figure out which one smells the best to me. Yeah. But the other thing I was thinking about is when in a situation where there's smell loss and looking for different sensations, I really understand uh, the importance of touch. And one thing that sort of comes to mind and sort of playing with that is experimenting with temperature play, you know, because there is that sensation of difference. And when we when one of our senses sort of drops, others tend to compensate. And we see that with people who have lost their vision a lot. And usually what happens in that case is their scent really kicks in, like their scent and their their sense of touch as well. So it'd be fun to do, instead of sensory play, temperature play. Temperature play. Smell play, though. Yeah. Like, imagine if you could, like, come and, like, scare them with, like, first you're going to, like, aromatherapy stuff, yeah. you know? Have some fun with that. Give your partner a sexual massage with maybe an aromatherapy oil and then, you know, then whip out the ice cubes. Yeah. Yeah. Or experimenting with... um I know food and sex is discomfort, like uncomfortable for a lot of people. It can be squeaky, but I find if you like do different tastes that involve like heat or like icy things, like peppermint tea is a perfect example, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that like tastes very cleansing and cool, but it's very warm, and you can play with the temperature with that a lot. So when I when I saw sort of the discussion of how people were navigating losing that scent and exploring, my mind automatically went to temperature play and exploring different forms of kink. Great solution. And the article actually did go and uh, say, what do you do if you're losing your sense of smell at the very end? And like, what are the options? And they end with that. So if anyone is losing their sense of smell and wants to learn more, read the article. But that's also a really great suggestion. Well, I was just thinking for people who haven't lost their sense of smell, now that we've learned everything about this, if you're struggling to get in the mood in a certain space because you've been trapped at home and we're in a lockdown again right now. Yeah. If you're like trapped at home, so safe of us hanging out. Fuck you, Omicron. You can't stop us. Hey, I tested yesterday and I'm negative. I tested fairly recently and got my booster last week. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay. Anyway, I was just thinking about how if someone's struggling to get in the mood, maybe it would be nice to have like the sex candle. You yeah. like light it and you like masturbate with the smell. And then that way when you're trying to have like partnered sex with someone and get in the mood and like create a mental space, like. Turn on your sex candle. Maybe light some incense. I love incense. Like, uh, definitely you got to do it in small small quantities because incense can get overpowering. I love the Nag Chunka, just the classic. It comes in a blue box and it smells very, like, that's a very nice, sweet, smoky scent to me. That's beautiful. And it's, it's just nice to, like, I find smoke itself very beautiful. Like, when you yeah. watch incense, the smoke curl. Yeah, I like Dragon's Blood and White Magic. Those are the oh, two yes. that I smelled recently that i enjoyed if you know what the smell is we're gonna look yours up yeah uh i i think i've done uh the the dragon's blood before white magic i don't think so okay i might have some maybe i'll light some for you we're gonna end up on our own little smell adventure um let's take a short break and we'll be right back great news everybody did you miss one of the past workshops that i ran on stis or even down the rabbit hole on pleasure and empowerment Marissa and I are going to be rerunning our workshops as well as two new ones on a pretty much ongoing monthly basis. Head to sharewithray.com slash events to check out when our workshops are available and more information. 
Today's listener question is how do I navigate conversations around opening our relationships when both partners are queer? Um, (laughs) so I, my initial thought was, um, how is the queerness changing the conversation you're having, whether you're straight or gay or bi or just generally queer? Um, the, the practices are the same, no matter what your orientation, in my opinion. I agree. If anything, I think the fact that, uh, being queer in itself would probably make it a little bit easier in some ways because you're already quote-unquote, outside the normal paradigm of relationships. And one of the things I've heard a lot from the gay community is that open relationships are a lot more common, where you might have one or two main partners, and then you can sort of explore sexually outside of that, but you have to talk to each other about it and, you know, discuss what um, safe practices you're comfortable doing with other people, as long as there's an atmosphere of openness. But it's interesting how, like, you think about how would monogamy benefit someone who is currently trying to conceive a child or who has children. Monogamy, I'm sure, is very helpful in those moments, maybe just from a societal standpoint of knowing, like, this is the main person who we rely on. These are the two people we rely on to take Mm -hmm. care of this child and we've created it together and we know the biological history. But even then, you hear about um, poly relationships that are all raising kids together and how it's so nice to have extra help when we don't absolutely. have intergenerational households. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I definitely think that like, that's an ideal situation where there's more, more help and there's like more role models for children to have access to. Um, I just, I, I, I would agree with you and say that ultimately if it's something that you both want and you can talk through and decide on your boundaries and explore together, then you're good to go no matter what your sexual orientation is. There's actually so much out there targeted towards um, like non-heterosexual people when it comes to open relationships just because of the Savage Love cast, Yeah, I think. Like mm-hmm. he's been writing since the 80s about non-monogamy and, and like, you know, writing, speaking on. And he's one of the main proponents of like lots of queer relationships are non-monogamous as well. Mm-hmm. So I would say like if you're trying to navigate the conversation when both partners are queer, take the queerness out of it. Like the queerness isn't the issue. What we want from our relationships, whether we are straight, gay, anything in between is love and security and passion and eroticism. And unless you're asexual, I take that back for those last two. But, um, you know, like what you are looking for is the same no matter what your orientation is. So have the conversation I would say, like, I'm almost saying, like, in a non-intersectional way, because your queer identity doesn't matter to this conversation. What you want as a human is what matters. I would also add that if you are both looking to open your relationship, make sure that you are doing work on yourselves to be secure, happy individuals. And I say this as somebody who has been in open relationships. I've discovered about myself that I'm not polyamorous, though I am non-monogamous. I like sexual exploration outside of relationships. I'm uncomfortable with feelings of uh, love and for my partner to be uh, somebody else's support network. That's something I'm personally not comfortable with. Um, And I know that about myself, right? So in order to feel secure in my relationship, that's my boundary. And I navigate that by doing a lot of therapy and being in touch with what I actually want. I would also say, like, don't push yourself to do something that you don't actually want. If you're uncomfortable and you're working on yourself but it's not changing express that you know instead of just trying to force yourself to be something you're not 
I think there's also no harm in beginning with, like, I think about when you're planning a wedding with another person, you have to start with what are the three things that you absolutely want in your ideal wedding. Mm -hmm. You can do the same with your, this relationship, right? Like what does opening up look like to you in your ideal situation? And then unlike in a wedding where you try and make sure you have all those things, like the budget might influence if you have an open bar or not, even if you both want an open bar, that might not be realistic because you can't afford that. So, okay, what do you do next? You have tickets and everyone gets four drinks, right? Like that's, you find the, the, the space in between where you're both satisfied if you can. So maybe even just brainstorming, what does the open relationship mean to you? So for you, Vivian, it's sexual exploration, but not multiple emotional attachments. So having that conversation around like what it is that you're actually looking for and what is it that you think you're looking to have fulfilled and leaving things open that when you start exploring that open relationship, you're what you're looking for might change or what you thought you wanted might not be what you actually want and leaving space to have that conversation with your partner as your expectations and values are clarified. I also recommend just from my experience, uh, maybe starting by hiring a provider independently or together to see how the experience feels, you know, in a controlled professional setting and take it from there just so that you can almost practice with somebody who's very used to this kind of thing. Like I've met a number of couples where, you know, um, a girlfriend knows that their boyfriend is coming to see me and they're really excited. They chose me together because they, they trust that this is a, like a stress-free mess-free way of exploring before they embark on personal relationships. So I, I, I personally recommend just Maybe looking for someone together and experimenting with that. You may have fun, you may not, and you may not want to repeat that experience. But I do think it's a really good first step. One thing I like about that idea is when you are trying to pick someone up off a dating app who you don't necessarily know what their motivations are for poly or open or if they're cheating or if they're single and like leading someone on, if it's a service provider, then you know that this is someone who you are hiring for a purpose. Mm-hmm. You don't need to worry about, you know, are they going to expect more from you than you are willing to give? Or what if you hurt their feelings because you weren't clear that you actually have a primary partner or not, or whatever it ends up being. Like, this is someone who's going to help you with the journey because you've told them what they're there for. This isn't a girlfriend or boyfriend or non-binary friend. What's the Partner. That's the word. I'm working on it. Anyway. Like, this isn't, like, a potential partner that you could be hurting their feelings or, like, they're hoping to date you, but you don't know. Like, a service provider is not any of those things. And it's a really great way of being able to, like, explore with yourself without hurting someone else's feelings. Definitely. I would also highly recommend discussing uh, the safer sex practices you want to engage in. I I definitely recommend using barrier methods like condoms, receptive partner condoms, because, like... Otherwise, you you could end up with an STI, which is not the end of the world. You could still end up with one even with condoms. So prepare to have that as an eventuality. But the best way to prepare for that is by using barrier methods. I definitely think not knowing the genders of the people who are asking here, I definitely think that having a conversation about how do we handle STIs, how do we handle pregnancy Mm -hmm. with this person that you're considering opening up with is a very important question, right? Like what happens if you're with someone else and the condom breaks and you get pregnant or an STI? How do we handle that? What are our feelings around it? And 
I advocate a judgment, shame-free mentality, right? Like you both knew what you were doing. You're both adults. You both know what one of the potential outcomes of this is. So it shouldn't be you did something wrong or are you sure the condom broke? Are you sure you lost them? Like, let's not throw accusations. Let's have a conversation of, okay, this happened. So what are the steps we want to take to make some choices around it? Yeah. And like, I've been in a situation where I've been using condoms with somebody and one's rolled up and that's been kind of scary, but you know, I was open to my partner about it and we navigated from there and decided that, okay, I will get tested. And in the meantime, like we will use barrier methods with each other, even though that's not normally part of our sexuality. Like one of the things you might want to consider as well are like dental dams. Um, because I do find there is this assumption, especially with lesbians that uh, just if it, like, throughout community at, at large that because it's two women having sex together the chance for sti transmission is nil which is it's absolutely not fluids. true it's it's fluids yeah and like one of the things is like you could choose to use like a dental dam if the receptive partner to oral sex is on their period or you know if they do have um like a lifelong uh sti which by the way is ex- exceedingly common a lot we're of talking people, like herpes hpv hiv yeah like mm-hmm. This is very common. A lot the, of the uh, the viral infections, as they are called. Yeah, and you know, uh, just because somebody has a lifelong uh, viral infection doesn't mean that they can't be a safe person to have sex with. You just have to approach it differently, and that's totally okay. Um, like living with an STI does not make somebody a bad person by any means, and it doesn't mean that their sex life is done. You just have to, you know, have an honest conversation with it upfront about it upfront instead mm-hmm. of you know, when like halfway through sex, like that's not, I did have that once where a partner of mine ate somebody out and then they were going to have penetrative sex and they're like, oh yeah, by the way, I have herpes. That should have happened before they they had oral sex, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's transmission through, transmitted through skin to skin contact. Yeah. And that was a bit of a freak out. Like at the time I didn't react very well to that um, because I was a new sex worker and I didn't really understand, um, how prevalent it was? How prevalent it was. So I didn't react well to that. What I would have preferred would have happened is if they had had that conversation before and then had chosen to, like, approach sex differently. And then I would have been okay with them, like, my partner at the time, having sex with somebody who has herpes. You know what I mean? Another thing to consider is um, you can definitely – have whatever boundaries you want with your relationship. I would say a healthy boundary is something like you, you will use safer sex practices when having sex with other people. Mm-hmm. A not-so-healthy boundary would be you can't have sex with anyone if they have herpes or HIV or this or that, right? Because yeah, because that's not healthy. And there's a very big difference between someone with HIV who's on ART mm-hmm. and someone who has HIV who isn't. And, you know, like a blanket statement of you can't have sex with anyone with an STI is kind of like, okay, take the take the sex-negative stigma out of the conversation and yeah. maybe unpack where that messaging is coming from. And the thing is, like, if like you know 90 percent of the human population would actually have an sti because like cold sores are herpes like i experienced cold sores so chicken pox is another strain of herpes yeah and I've, I've had shingles that's also another strain of herpes right but as soon as it's located on your genitals now we have a problem with it yeah and like you know it's so if you're saying like you can't do like you can't have sex with anybody who has an sti like you're basically eliminating most people out there right and so that's not going to do you much good I think we covered it. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Vivian, where can people follow you? You can follow me uh, on Twitter at XO underscore Vivian and on my OnlyFans at Vivian underscore Braddy Redhead. 
and Vivian has two N's and a T. You can join the Deviants Defining Elite, where we get to define what is deviant behavior. Join our communities on Patreon at patreon.com slash sexnewswithray. Big thanks to our Patreon subscribers and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at sexnewswithray. You can submit a listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast, email me at ray at sharewithray.com, or DM me through Instagram. Follow me at wifebayray on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and Razor Latex on Instagram and OnlyFans. Oh, I'm on YouTube now, too. Wife Bay Ray. It's all the same content, just multiple channels for people who have different preferences. This podcast is produced by me and engineered by Josh from Josh T Films and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. Theme music is by Blank and Brilliant, and the logo is by Dolly Shots Photography.